is The Next Trip Podcast with Aviation Insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own. Good day and welcome to Boarding Pass 154, operating on November 7th, 2022. This is Doug, an airline pilot. I'm here with my buddy Drew, an airline ops manager and private pilot trainee. We're here to discuss aviation topics from an industry insider's perspective. Drew, I hit the ground running after our trip, and I haven't stopped since. I, you were lucky. You got a couple extra days off, but you've been back at work for the last several days. I haven't heard anything. I haven't heard much about work, so I'm guessing that it was smooth. <laughs> yeah, I, I do not like to hit the ground running after a trip. I need at least two days just to center myself because I'm not an airline pilot, and I'm not used to the crazy time changes that's normal for you. Who said I'm used to it? I do it. It doesn't mean that I'm used to it. <laughs> well, when we were in Copenhagen, you were saying this is like one of your trips. Like when yeah. we were started, when we started walking in Copenhagen, remember that's exactly what you said. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now here, here's a question and the listeners chime in too. You said that you need a couple days on the back end. Marissa is the same yeah. way. Like if we plan a vacation, she wants at least a day to get caught up and everything. To yeah. me, I look at that as a wasted day of vacation or time off of work. I, I'm always a guy who like, hey, if I have to work on Monday, we're going to get back at 10 o'clock Sunday night, mm. get a little bit of sleep and then hit the ground running <laughs> and I'll clean up the house and, and get food and stuff later on. Because to me, I look at it like, well, if, if I have a limited number of vacation days, yeah. I'm going to maximize my my time with that vacation, meaning on the road doing something. No. Okay. What you just heard right now for all the listeners do exactly the opposite of what Doug does. <laughs> <laughs> because when you've been on a nice vacation, we had a nice little, when a few days in Europe, you want to get back and you want to kind of be in that travel bliss and think about how great it was and relax. And, you know, I was talking to Robbie about it and we were just having a glass of wine at a restaurant and I was telling him how great it was. The other thing is, oh, you don't want to go straight back to work because then it feels like you haven't left because then it feels, you know, you cram everything before the trip, right? Then you go on the trip and then you're back. Boom. It's like you never left. You want That's to be true. able to like chill yeah. and, t you know. I, I, I have to commend Robbie, though, for actually wanting to listen to details <laughs> about the trip. Good, good for him. Yeah. I haven't even tried to tell Marissa. She hasn't asked. It's just one of those. No. I did it. I came back. Yeah. She doesn't want to know. She she even said, "Where'd you even go? I I don't even yeah. know where you were. I I know you were gone, and that was well, it. That like that was all that I've told her about." No, it. I mean, and, and when I tell you that I was telling Robbie about it, it was more for me. <laughs> He's like, "Uh huh, uh huh." He's checking the menu. Mm -hmm, wow. Okay. Cool. Uh huh. Because it's too much for them to uh, grasp. You know, he would have been fine just staying in Copenhagen the whole time, like for a yeah. week. So the fact that we were there one day. But anyway, no, Doug, back to work. And, you know, I have said on this podcast, in the summer and winter, we I would not wish this job on my worst enemy because it's so crazy stressful. Mm -hmm. But in September and October, I can't believe, you know, so usually I can't believe I'm getting paid for it. Hopefully my boss isn't listening. But it's not the same anymore. It's still busy in October, as we've talked about. And this is the time on top of it still being busy traffic wise. This is time we get all our training done before the holidays. So I am jumping through hoops to get everything done so that by November 15th, we can ease into the holidays and we don't have a lot of uh, admin stuff, training and employee development stuff to do. I had a fun work thing to do. You, you did. And yeah, uh, was it AvGeek or AVGeek? I'm not sure about that. <laughs> you know, 
people, you know, we assume everyone knows what AvGeek is, right? But people don't even know what that is. People who work in the airport, people who are organizing this event didn't know how to pronounce it. I was invited to uh, help Dulles Airport cart around 25 AvGeeks just like you and me. And uh, even the person who was organizing it, he said, yeah, so we have this AV geek. <laughs> AV geek, like audio video, <laughs> audio visual. They're going to show up with their cables and, and HDMI cords. Who, well, yeah, who were and these? not just them. Um, there was some mechanics working on a brake, brake change on a 777 that I was going to show the AV geeks. So I come up and like, hey, guys, I'm going to bring some um, AV geeks up here in a little bit. Just want to make sure you're not doing anything on board. And they're like, what's an AV geek? These are people who work at in, for the airline. In aviation, yeah. Who who were these people, though? How were they selected? How, how did this get set up? I'm curious about that. Yeah, it's interesting. It's something that we would jump on. Dulles Airport, they're celebrating their 60-year anniversary this year. So apparently, and I, didn't, I missed it, they had put something on Twitter, an Eventbrite thing where you can... Um, it's like an invitation to a concert or... Mm-hmm. Um, a party, right? They put it out. Hey, I'll call on all Av geeks. If you're interested in spending a day with us at Dulles, sign up. So 25 people signed up. And what they do is they pick them up at the counter. They take them in a mobile lounge, which we love. I saw that in the photos. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Take them in a mobile lounge out to the ramp. They get to um, mill around the ramp, look at airplanes, take pictures. And then they get back in the mobile lounge and they took us out to the runway to watch some airplanes take off. And I'll put this I'll put it on our YouTube channel. I'll put a link on our, on the website. But we we got some magnificent shots of takeoffs. Yeah, like right in front, like right where an A three eighty rotates. <laughs> the weather looked beautiful too. I th- I think you're actually having better weather today than we are. It's in the fifties and rainy here, and it looks like it's sunny and warm there mm-hmm. for you, which is weird for November that you in DC would be having better weather than I am in California. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's a weird week. We had two planes, a 787 and a 777. And I said, what do you guys want to want to see? So they took a poll and they chose the 787. And I sent that to you. And what did you say? I, I don't even remember what I said. You texted I was, I was me angry. like, um, my, my, no. I didn't think about it. My fingers just answered. <laughs> you said, um, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they, so they, the poll was a 787. And as we're driving up, maintenance is starting to do some work on the 787. Good. So we ended up taking them on the triple seven, which Good. which is the one I wanted to take them on because there's more space. Yeah. So <laughs> they traipsed around. <laughs> they sat in the business class seats. They like laid them, did the whole lay flat thing, and I was able to yeah. talk all about it. So no, it's cool because whenever there's a, an event like this, they always pick me because they know I love it. So I call it my I did my Av Geek Good Samaritan work today because it was on my day off. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't mind because it was so much fun. And I met uh, met some Avgeeks. You know, none of them are airline employees. I think maybe one. One of them worked for Spirit. One of them worked at uh, the control center, the FAA command center, which is close to here, which was cool. So, And he's also getting his private pilot's license. So we'll be talking about private pilot stuff. I told him to come on the show. He's actually um, in charge of rockets, not even commercial aviation. Lots of interesting people. What else is going on? You had kind of a sad week because you had your last KC-10 sim. How I do you did. feel about that? It's very bittersweet. And I I don't think that it would have hit me quite the way that it did if I hadn't been in charge of the sims for two years before mm-hmm. I went to the reserves because that, that was my life. I was in the sims nonstop certifying right. them, trying and to break them, and for it. fixing them exactly. I'm I'm going to the new tanker probably sometime early next year. It's still waiting on my dates. 
and this is this ultimately is my last refresher sim that I do. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, very bittersweet being in there for the last time. So you referred it, you referred to it as the new tanker. Do you think you'll grow a fondness for that new tanker like you had for the KC10? Well, I think I will. And my friends who have left the KC10 and gone to the KC46 love it. Mm-hmm. They say the airplane is awesome. It's a modified 767. They they love it, but the KC10, that was my first true airplane yeah. aside from pilot yeah. training. And I I mean I've flown it for like 11 years now at this point and I still continue to fly it. So I think it'll always have that spot in my heart, that fondness looking back on it. I know we joke about the 737 and and how I said I I dislike it and whatever, (laughs) but still looking back on it, like it's an airplane that you've flown. It's a type that you've flown and you're always going to have some level of fondness for it. The difference between the 737 and the KC-10 is I've flown the KC-10 for 11 years. I flew the 737 for nine months. You you know, you can kind of see the the difference there of ultimately a lifetime, my aviation lifetime has been spent with the KC-10. I've seen pictures of Doug or um, videos of you flying the KC-10. And I remember watching you at uh, your hands on the hand on the throttle. And I remember seeing you make just these minor, like, like little, like quarter inch moves of the throttles one by one. So you literally know that plane, like the palm of your hand. Mm hmm. Right. I mean, how are you what are you doing when you're moving, when you're just advancing the throttle for engine number two? I mean, what are you thinking? It, 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 I, I'm not thinking it is it, it's it's seat of the pants. It's just a feeling at this point that I've flown so many thousands of hours and so many flights in the airplane that I know it even just a little we, we say just breathe on, on the throttle, just a little breath on the throttle, just a tiny little push. And mm-hmm. I know after a couple seconds, based on how far I move my fingers, based on the weight of the airplane, how much it's going to, going to respond. And if I'm crazy. two or three knots slow, I know exactly what I need to do to get those two or three knots back. If I'm two or three knots fast, I know exactly what I need to do to be able to slow down to my target airspeed. Wow, that's amazing. When is your last KC-10 flight, do you think? It'll be sometime in the first quarter of next year. I I haven't targeted a date yet, but it'll be sometime uh, in, in the first quarter. And I'm also, I've been asked, and we, we'll probably talk about this on an episode, but I've been asked mm-hmm. to do a retirement flight. Uh, yeah, bring- that's what I was going to mention to bring one of the KC-10s to the Boneyard, which I begrudgingly agreed to. Begrudgingly meaning I'm sad to be doing it, but I'm also thrilled that they asked me if if I would like to do that. So I'm yeah. penciled in for that flight. Yeah, I think you need to keep all of us updated on that because what we can do is we can plan. That's a place where civilians can go, right? To watch the planes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's where the... Uh, is it Marana? No, it's... it's uh, Marana is... Marana's near Phoenix. It's it's just okay. it's near Pima. Yeah, it's it's in the Tucson area. So it's going to the Boneyard. So none of these are in a museum, are they? One of them uh, is already. Yeah, it's it's in the Air Mobility Command Museum at Dover Air Force Base in Delaware, Dover, Delaware. Right. Yeah, we can talk about this all day, but uh, definitely, uh, listeners, brace for a KC ten themed episode, then KC forty six episode. Yeah, right? so you can know all about. All the planes, Doug flies. Doug, back to commercial aviation. You guys, Doug, especially Tyler, right? Who's mm. a very judgmental about you. Critical. And travel, right? Very critical about my travel. Yeah, Tyler is uh, non-rev lounge. And speaking of non-rev, you, you were kind of broken in because you had an international non-rev situations we had to deal with, which 
we were successful because we had our lucky non-rev socks on with airplanes mm-hmm. on them. And uh, last week or a couple of days ago, you you non-revved on flights that were full and got on both. I did. Yeah, I, I did what, what I call a turn and burn. I had to go home back to Iowa for some personal stuff just for a, a day. In fact, I, I did the math on it, Drew. I was in Cedar Rapids, Iowa for less time than I was traveling to and from Cedar Rapids. Oh, you didn't stay there the night? I did stay there the night, but I was only I was only on the ground because I got in at midnight. And I left at three the next day. Mm. So I was only on the ground for 15 hours. And between connections in Denver, both directions each day, I was traveling at the airport longer than I was on the ground in Cedar Rapids. But yeah, as you said, and Tyler gives me grief for it. He says, oh, you, you never want an on-rev because you're, you're afraid of not getting on. And we've talked about how full the airplanes are and how October normally is a time that you could non-rev. I ended up in the jump seat on one of my flights. <laughs> yeah, I had, I, on, on my first flight from Sacramento, from Sacramento. To Denver, I had to sit in the jump seat because there was not a seat available in the back. It turned out that there was one middle seat in the last row that I could have taken. And at this point, I had been talking to the other pilots for 30 minutes, 40 minutes. And the gate agent came and handed me a boarding pass and said, seats in the back if you want it. Mm-hmm. And I turned to the captain and I said, do you mind if I just stay up here? And he was like, no, absolutely. Stay up here. So I, okay. I just stayed in, in the flight deck. All things being equal. So you don't have a, um, a conversation with the crew and you know, like you wanted to stay there this time. All things being equal, would you rather sit in the jump seat or in the cabin? If it's a middle seat toward towards the back and I have the option for the jump seat, Mm-hmm. And it's a relatively short flight. The jump seat is uncomfortable. If it was more than mm-hmm. a two-hour flight, I would have taken the yeah. seat in the back. But I knew that it was only two hours. And and, and honestly, we we talked about this. And I at the beginning, where I'd make fun of the 737, I hadn't been in the 737 flight deck for a flight since I broke up with her back in March, <laughs> my last flight yeah. on the 737. Uh-huh. I was actually kind of excited to mm-hmm. get back and watch and see. Now that I feel comfortable fully fully proficient. I have almost 500 hours on the triple. I, I was excited to actually see the 737 to compare because I, I've honestly forgotten a lot of it to, to just look and, and watch and see what, what goes on. It just differences between us and the triple. Or, was, it uh, first, was it pretty new first officer? No, they were both Denver-based crew uh, pilots, both relatively senior. Okay. Although the, yeah, the, no. captain, the captain had just upgraded from the right seat of the triple and he mm-hmm. was telling me how much he misses the triple and how much he oh, dislikes wow. dislikes the 737 compared to the triple yeah I thought that was interesting but he's the boss now so yeah how many stars for the landing oh it greased it totally mm-hmm. greased it okay. which is which is weird or difficult on a 737 and we we're on a 900 er which is the most difficult of mm-hmm. the 737s to land and we were yeah. landing in denver which is very high pressure altitude 737 landings in Denver are very difficult. He greased it. Really nice job. Oh, not bad. Now, I do want to, I, I wa- yeah, I want to talk about the return, though. And this is a, a little nugget for non-revs. I flew home on Halloween, and the flights generally were pretty empty. The airports yeah. were empty. I had no issues getting on both of my flights. In fact, I got first class That's domestic non-rev of. times two, That's which unheard is un- unheard of. Absolutely yeah. unheard of. There were only eight seats that were taken in first on my Denver to Sacramento leg. Did we serve food on that? On eight, yeah, I got, a, I got a dinner. Yeah. You got a dinner. Okay. Mm-hmm. Doug non-revved in business class 
in business class on another carrier <laughs> to Europe and you non-revved on full flights mm-hmm. and you non-revved and got first class on two flights. Yeah. Let's check. Now out I can, one. I can just hear Tyler right now saying, yeah, well you were able <laughs> to, you had the jump <laughs> seat as the ace up your sleeve, which th- that is very true. If not for that, I, I may not have made it on. Sorry, Tyler. <laughs> I did it. No, whatever. We had an awesome trip. So I'm sure during the next few episodes, we'll keep coming back to that because we have so much material, but we can't constantly dwell on that. We got to move on. One of the news topics, actually, before we move on real quick, I do have a negative comment from one of our listeners on our trip episode Mm -hmm. and it's public enemy number one. You know who you are. It's Francis. And he said he didn't like all the background noise. Right. Of course not. Yeah. Because we were, Francis Francis is never happy. But Francis, we didn't talk about flying, though. There were no pilot memoirs. There was no, yeah, there's no pilot pilot Mm. memoirs at all. There was a lot of background noise. So for the listeners, we apologize. We just got, with the airport so full, we couldn't find a quiet spot to tape. So we did have some background background noise at the club. But anyway, Francis complained. He said, if I wanted pots and pans banging, I'd go home and listen to my wife try to cook. <laughs> I liked it when I was doing the edit. I, I thought this sounds cool. You can definitely tell that we're at the club. I, I liked it. Well, and speaking of the background, I, I I hope he stayed to listen to the A three fifty part because we did not stage any of that, Doug. So you had the engine noise in the background, which is very soothing. It wasn't loud, mm. but then we had the flight attendants come to us like two times, and we had that on tape. And then more than I that, I edited out like three of the interruptions. Oh, so you the, did? the ones that, the ones that you heard were the ones that I I was able to keep. But, but yeah, okay. we were interrupted like five times in a twenty minute span. Right, and just a coincidence. But the captain also came on and made the arrival announcement. We're still going to tape that. I mean, maybe we'll not not be too close to the pots and pans in the club next time, <laughs> right? I mean, point taken. Let's move on. <laughs> The crazy part is there are a few parts of this episode that also connect with our previous episode. Last week, during the flight, actually. Did we talk about that during the flight? The cabotage and the... No, I think that was with the pots and pans banging. (laughs) All right. So when the pots and pans were banging, we were talking about the freedoms of flights, right? The fifth freedom is what we were on. So we talked about something called cabotage, which is when an airline not flagged in a country operates domestic flights in another country. We also said that as of now, there are no such flights in the world. For example, that would be like Qantas flying from New York to Los Angeles and only carrying local traffic, just selling tickets to LA only. That would be cabotage. That's not allowed. Well, this might be changing, Doug. Mexican President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador said last week that he is open to foreign airlines operating domestic cl- flights within Mexico. <laughs> yeah. He was actually inviting foreign carriers into his country to compete. I-, I think that's cool. So he's proposing the repeal of a current law that bans foreign carriers from operating, do- operating domestic flights, a way he believes will lower the price of flights. Obrador said, let foreign airlines come in from Europe and the United States so that they can operate flights inside the country Let's open it up to competition. His exact words. A lot of stuff to unpack. There, yeah, there, there is a lot. And and you you asked me my thoughts. I said I'm going to save it for the show. First of all, the airlines are one of the few industries in the world that does not allow outside competition. Think about just in the United States alone. It's oh, everywhere oh. in the world. But let's use the U.S. as an example. What car did I pick you up in at the airport? Japanese. At the hotel. Japanese. 
yeah, a Japanese car. Granted, a lot of the parts are made in the U.S., but I, I picked you up in a Japanese car. Right. I flew an Airbus to Denver, or uh, sorry, I flew an Airbus to Cedar Rapids from Denver the other day. Mm-hmm. Airbus is a European company. Yeah. I've stayed at Japanese hotels in the U.S. I, so many examples of non-U.S. based products that we use in our daily lives and those industries and, and people are totally fine with it. Aviation is the one industry that I can think of where those protections are put in place by local authority authorities, local governments, because they don't want those outside companies coming in for whatever reason. I honestly, I think it's mainly the unions and the airlines themselves in the country. For instance, American Delta United Southwest saying put, putting up those roadblocks saying no we, we don't want Emirates to come in and operate Detroit to Pittsburgh or we don't want Air France to come in and operate Sacramento to Los Angeles all these different things this is the president saying that he wants it that doesn't mean it's going to happen I have a feeling that Viva Aerobus that Aeromexico that Interjet that mm-hmm. all these Mexican airlines are really going to push back on it because I- they don't want other competition coming in they want it for themselves yeah i don't think that there's a way that this could happen because you know i'm sure their pilots unions and their their workers unions that work for these airlines would push back big time and i'm sure the airlines themselves as our airlines would if emirates wants to fly from kennedy to los angeles on an a380 and just sell i think that our the Airlines for America is the big trade group for the airlines in this country. They would go bonkers. <laughs> they wouldn't allow it. Yeah. But I, I think there's another reason why um, President Obrador wants this to happen. And it is to make sure the smaller airport in Mexico is successful. He stopped a project to build the new Mexico International Airport. Mexico City. Yeah. Mexico City, which looked fabulous. Have you seen these pictures? Yeah. And and, and they needed it because the old one is is so overcrowded in so need overcrowded. Of, of so much upgrade. Yeah. And it would have been a great, it would have been, I think it would have been great for Mexico because it could have been a hub like Miami, yet probably better with a brand new modern airport. But he thought that it was costing so too much money. And he talked about corruption as far as um, the airport construction. Mm-hmm. So this was his idea to have another airport at an Air Force base. And it is Felipe Angeles Airport. Uh, Mexico City is full. Mex- MEX, Mexico City, Benito Juarez International Airport is full. They don't have room. They're overbooked as far as flights. So now they're adding flights in NLU, which is this other airport, which mm-hmm. is kind of his baby. He wants to show, hey, I didn't continue with that airport because it was a waste of money because we have this but is it realistic so doug i looked into this three hour drive from mexico city to this other airport really okay yes only four airlines fly there there's only about 30 flights so by him opening wanting to open it up to other carriers to come in i think he's hoping that he can show that this other airport can be successful i'm wondering how that would look though Uh, if it were to open up which first of all i don't think that they will ultimately i I don't think it'll it'll pass or go through but if they were to do that i also i i personally I, i just don't see a big influx in airlines jumping at the opportunity you made a comment. You said our airline could possibly do Mexico City to Cancun or something yeah. like that. But the problem is the yields. The the you, you would have to take an airplane and a crew that would otherwise be flying a lucrative route like Chicago to Boston or mm-hmm. Boston to Miami right. or yeah. something like that. You, you would have to uh, pull an airplane that's flying these high yield routes 
shuttle it down to Mexico. Now, right. uh, the airlines, the airlines do fly to Mexico City. The airlines do fly to Cancun. We fly to dozens of cities in Mexico. It's yeah. not that. It's the inter-Mexican traffic. And I was trying to do some research on this. I was trying to see what some of the, the bigger business type routes would be. Mm-hmm. Mexico City to Cancun definitely is a leisure route. Leisure routes don't really get the yield. So I yeah. can't see a U.S. airline, possibly Delta, because their connection with Aeromexico. Mm-hmm. I, I can't see them coming in and trying to fly leisure routes out of Mexico City. It would have to be a business route, which would be Tijuana, Mexico City, Guadalajara, right. Mexico City, Monterey, Mexico City. I could possibly see that. But even then, it, it might be just like one or two flights a day. I, I don't think that it's it, it would be a lot of of flights for these European and, and U.S. airlines coming in and doing. Yeah, let's do a little bit of a tank dive with the freedom. So cabotage would be considered the ninth freedom when you're carrying revenue traffic within a country. Eighth freedom... So that is the right or privilege, blah, 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 um, of transporting cabotage traffic between two points in the territory of the granting state on a service which originates or terminates in the home country of the foreign carrier. So I was thinking about this, Doug. So Delta has this flight, which you were telling me about, that goes from Atlanta to Cape Town and then Johannesburg because of... It's the other way. It's it's Atlanta, uh, Johannesburg, Cape Town. They have to do that, right? So they have to fly from Cape Town to Johannesburg right now because of they got to make a tech stop. Mm-hmm. So why not let them carry revenue traffic, right? This would be the eighth freedom from Cape Town to Johannesburg. And what they can do is partner with, <clears throat> with a domestic airline so that they share the revenue. So mm-hmm. it's not wasted seats and you're able to move people. I don't know. This, that's also a stretch, but that's something I could see that could work. Because you're saying it's not lucrative for, say, American to fly from Dallas to Cancun via Mexico City and carry some local traffic? Because is there a lot of money in that? But if you have to fly from Cape Town to Johannesburg or Johannesburg to Cape Town, mm-hmm. why not sell some seats on it and give some of that revenue to the local carrier? I don't know. Just yeah, that. no, that that's a great point that if, if you have to do it for a tech stop, pick up some traffic. But the airlines, I, I don't see them going out of their way. Uh, again, unless it's like Tijuana, Mexico City or Guadalajara, Mexico City, these, these business routes where they could get possibly get the yields that they would get by taking that airplane off of, like I said, Boston, Miami or or something like that. Yeah. Well, let's exactly. move on to our our next topic, which also sticks with what we did uh, last week on our Euro trip. Mm-hmm. Our trip unexpectedly ended up being all about the A350. Well, things, well, things might be changing. Airbus this week unveiled a wider and longer cabin on its flagship widebody, not longer as in the exterior, but longer on on the inside. The aircraft manufacturer, which just celebrated its 50th anniversary, has found ways to minimize space in the flight deck and reduce sidewall size to add extra rows without sacrificing the legroom. The sidewall minimization allows airlines to add an extra seat, bringing the configuration from 333 to 343, something low-cost carriers like French B have already done. This comes as airlines seek to maximize each inch of usable space in aircraft cabins. Airbus, in quotes, claims the move will improve comfort in all classes. Yeah, great, how great do you, claim. How does that improve comfort to go from nine seats across to 10 seats across? Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> it, to use no, the it, it does not. Now you you made it. You made a point. You you talked about this is going from eighteen inch seats down to seventeen inch seats. Mm-hmm. But we talked about that in in the moment. Do you really? Can you really tell a difference between that inch? You know, that's the question. I would that, argue when I'm no. on an A three twenty, 
And then I'm on a 737, sometimes on the same trip. I really cannot tell the difference. You can't tell, no. So a 17-inch seat, even though we're like ranting about how that's going to lower the quality of the flight, I mean, will it really that much? Four inches. So they are able to increase, you know, the way they make it sound is that they're making the airplane wider. <laughs> they're mm. not, for it's people who are listening, interior. they're not making the airplane wider or longer. What they're doing is making the sidewalls thinner. <laughs> So you can add a couple an, in, a couple inches on either side. And with that, you have 10 across. But this is like the tables are turned now. Now, now it's Boeing. This A350-1000 competes directly with the 777-9X. Mm-hmm. So with this increase in capacity, it'll be about 400 people for both aircraft, even though the 777-9X is 10 feet longer. Yeah. So the capacity is going to be about the same. But they were... Airbus was lording over, you know, the 18-inch seats. They're saying how it was so much better than the 787 with the 17-inch seats. And they were even pushing for a guideline or a expectation that all aircraft would have 18 inches as their standard. Now, tables are turned. They're going to have the 17-inch seat. And the Boeing 777-9 will have an 18 inch seat because they're Boeing's doing the same thing. It's the same cross section as the plane that you fly, yeah. but with thinner sidewalls, they're able to get a one inch wider seat. I, I don't know how, how Airbus can claim that it improves passenger comfort, because if you're sitting in the middle, you're going from a three row, a three seat row to now four seats. It, it, I don't know. I, I don't buy it. I don't like it. You know that I'm not, I, 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 I don't buy it. Drew. <laughs> Well, my fear now, my fear now, Doug, is there's some bean counter in an office in Boeing's headquarters in Seattle or Arlington, where they are now, or Crystal City, thinking, hmm, three, five, three, on the 11 triple? seats across yeah. at 16.4 inches. You know, they're yeah. thinking it. Yeah. Anyway, so um, here's some good news, though. Iberia has a 350, mm-hmm. and so does this Taiwanese carrier Starlux. So their current A350s have nine seats across. I read that they will be getting this new cabin A350 because all of the, the A350s will have a new modern cabin, but theirs will come with nine seats across. So there's still hope. But they're also saying they might just be doing that so that all their aircraft have the same configuration. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and the seats have probably already been purchased by, the, yeah. by whoever the, the supplier is for the seats. They, they say that now. And then in a couple of years, when they retrofit the cabin, they can go through four three or possibly we'll see. All right. Well, we'll see what comes out of Toulouse. I mean, we definitely. What, what did you think about the A three fifty cabin before we move on? I mean, we walked into, we did the whole tour mm-hmm. um, on that Singapore Airlines plane. That quilting group, who we said was so happy, even though they were an economy, they're probably going to be a little less happy <laughs> with one inch less between them i don't know but it definitely it definitely seemed like a comfortable cabin so let's stay in europe doug while JetBlue and spirit grind through their merger frontier who remember lost out on merging with spirit seems to be moving ahead just fine or even more proactively doug in an interview with uh, ceo barry biffle that's one of our favorite ceo names hinted that his airline is looking at interesting new routes with the airbus a321 xlr which arrives on the property in 2026 In a recent conference, he was asked about his airline's plans with the aircraft. 
He did not hold back. He said, it will enable us to fly to Europe, Hawaii, and deep into South America. Flying transatlantic is definitely in consideration. Biffle confirmed that he has been in talks with several European airports. Regarding service, he hinted that he has even been approached by representatives on the other side of the pond asking for service, including Shannon Ireland. He was also asked if Frontier would introduce a premium product for the service. He said, Everybody wants more legroom and amenities. The question is, are they willing to pay more? It's a square footage game. There's so much square footage on the on the plane. And what's the best configuration to generate the most revenue? It's not taboo for me to have a premium product, but we've got to look at it. Doug. I think it's really interesting, Drew, that these airports have reached out to Frontier knowing that they're four years away. They're already working on their plans of what they're going to do with these airplanes. And the fact that they're reaching out saying, will you will you operate? Will you service our city uh, across the Atlantic? I think that's huge. And I, I think it definitely is a possibility if Frontier is able to secure slots. At, I, though Frontier may not, they may go to non-slot controlled airports mm-hmm. because they are low yeah. cost. They're, they're the Ryanair essentially of the U.S. now. What's right. probably going out, out of the game with the JetBlue merger. But I, I definitely can see this and, and think about it. All these, all these people, and we talked about how Frontier is like the Walmart of airlines, yeah. where it's it's the lower the lower cost structure or, or the lower cost product. If you can have a Frontier A321 that can fly from, I don't know, Cleveland to Shannon, how many like how many people in the U.S. that are not able to currently spend the money that they need to to go to Europe who want to go to Europe? Now yeah. all of a sudden you have you have Frontier coming in saying in a couple of years, we'll be able to do it in incredibly cheaply for mm-hmm. you. I, I think it could work. Yeah. And they have lots of options. You know, Frontier is based in Denver. The A321 XLR has 4,700 nautical mile range. So Doug, that can fly. That can fly from Fra- from Denver to Frankfurt. So if they wanted to launch a route to Frankfurt to compete directly against the major carriers on that route, they could probably at a much lower price. But the other thing I'm thinking, you know, we always hear about Avello starting a random route from like, I don't know, Boise to LAX or something. So they could do they could do Denver to Toulouse, France. Mm-hmm. They could do Denver to Glasgow, you know, and and doesn't have to be daily. Could be three days a week. This, this is leisure traffic. So people will find a date that's available and travel. So I think they have a lot of opportunities. But, uh, you know, as I say that, I don't want them to take away business from us. So I'm not going to promote it that much. Because I'm going to say it's still a narrow body, so just know you get what you paid for. Yeah, yeah, and hopefully they will have some sort of a premium product. Will it be like Mint, where it's a lay flat? I don't know. Will it be more like a domestic first class or like a premium economy on a wide body? Who who knows? But they're four years away from getting them, and they're all already looking into this. So good on them. Well, I'm going to lead into our final news story by mentioning a meme that many of you might have seen. Every year, right around the 4th of July in the U.S., this meme resurfaces. It shows Queen Elizabeth, and it says, in quotes, the colonies are quite rowdy today. Well, Drew, pilots are cr- quite rowdy today as they well. Are. Delta pilots this week overwhelmingly voted in favor of a strike after three years of stalled contract negotiations. If you have an upcoming Delta flight, which I actually do next week, there is no need to worry. Federal law prohibits a strike unless a board declares an impasse in negotiations. Even then, there is a required 30-day what they call cooling Mm -hmm. off period. Alaska pilots passed the same vote earlier this year and now have agreed to a new deal with the airline after they passed. Wait, so Alaska is done. So they've ratified. Alaska is done. 
they've okay. ratified that. Yep, they've ratified their new contract, and that came after the strike vote. Management came back to the table with with a better deal for them. Mm. Separately, ninety four percent of United pilots voted against their new contract on Tuesday. And as I wrote this, American pilots were in the middle of a vote on their new contract, although their board today voted it down 15 to 5 for even sending it to the pilots for ratification. Mm. So the board at APA voted it down and said, no, we're, we're not going to accept this. Much of the consternation for mainline pilots centers around quality of life issues that are not mm-hmm. being addressed, as well as massive contracts that regional pilots have received, most of which now eclipse the contracts at American Delta and United from both pay and quality of life standpoints. Yeah. And I'm just going to throw this out there without talking about individual contracts or airlines. The non-pilot population feels that your group is very well compensated. You guys are very well paid. But I think what people don't understand, and I will now I'm going to pre-apologize for this. I don't think that the pilot groups have made that case to the public. I know that the work rules can be really tough just from knowing you and other pilots. I think people just see the dollar signs and think, what do you have to complain about? You're making twice as much money as the average person, and you're going to constantly bicker for more. And yeah. so it's not, it's not just pay. A lot of it is work rules and quality of life. I, I don't think that that's the pilot group's fault. I think that that's how the media is portraying this and how people look at it. Mm-hmm. Because most of the quotes that I've seen from the trade groups, from the unions, from represent, representation doesn't yeah. even mention the compensation piece. It says we're looking for quality of life improvements for our pilots. That's yeah. that's the biggest thing that everyone is fighting for right now. But I, I, but Doug Alpha well, should have someone on CNBC. So Sarah Nelson, do you know her? Yeah, yeah. The, she's the a flight she's attendant. A, yes, union uh, boss. Yeah, flight attendant AFA, I believe. She's mm-hmm. very vocal, and she's out there on these. I I see her all the time. Yeah, Alpa could use a voice like that to explain because when we roll up as a civilian, when you roll up to the airport and you see a bunch of pilots protesting, I'm like, what is their problem? We don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, we see the signs. Yeah, you know, better work rules. But what does that mean? No, that that's a that's a very valid point. And the example that I gave you is I ultimately am on the hook to work 24 days a month, even though I get a schedule and I have off days. Most of yeah. those off days are what we call rollable, meaning mm-hmm. the company can just say, nope, uh, you're actually working today. So I only have yeah. six days a month where I know 100% that they cannot touch me. The rest right. of the time, I'm I'm on call. I, I Ultimately, I'm sitting here waiting for them to call, and I've had days that get rolled off. It's oh, yeah, like and I, you know, not, not to get in the weeds, but you know, for the listeners, Doug and I have, I have had conversations where I cannot believe some of the things that you're expected to do. And yeah, and I'm sure that you'd give back some pay for some changes in some of these work rules. Yeah, it's complicated. Drew, our ops topic this week relates to something we've mentioned several times on the show regarding your work history in the airlines, sales. You and I actually had a great long discussion about it on our Euro trip because I was actually unsure of what you did. It's funny, too, because our listener, Mike, who works in sales, asked why you didn't like it. Now, before you answer this question about what you didn't like about sales, can you briefly explain what you did? Yeah, absolutely. So when I graduated from college, I graduated with an aviation degree. We're looking for jobs at major airlines right out of college. And British Airways, had uh, they were scouting at uh, San Jose State where I went. And they were looking for uh, an account executive in sales. And I thought, wow, big time. I'm going to be working for British Airways. I'm definitely going to put in for that. You know, not knowing exactly what the job was. I just saw British Airways and I'm fresh out of college. So they interviewed 20 
of my classmates and me. And I'm the one who got the job, <laughs> which made me feel really guilty afterwards. So I got the job and I was in downtown San Francisco wearing nice suits, walking around. So what I did, Doug, in the sales office, everyone has their beat or their 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 contracts. Um, the hotshots in the office like had the Apple contract or they'd have the Microsoft. So that left me with smaller companies. And my area was south of San Francisco Airport. So I had the smaller companies in Silicon Valley, the smaller tech companies. So I would talk to their travel managers, and I would also have the corporate travel agencies in those areas. So I would get up. I would have a list of sales calls that I would do. I would go talk to them. Question for you, Drew, though. You said you went and talked to these companies about about contracts. I'm guessing you were just working out numbers, saying this is what it would cost. If, if you were to contract with us, you would get X number of seats for X dollars. Yep, exactly. So we would have okay. a contract with them. So we would... Go to these, uh, go to these smaller companies. Go talk to the travel manager and um, just sell our product and say this is what we could offer. This was a huge international airline, so one of the selling points is we can take you from San Francisco basically anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. But what we were struggling with was our competition was Virgin, and Virgin has a very sexy modern product, which that was difficult to to work against, but. British Airways had two flights a day, so we were actually doing very well against Virgin. It's still a challenge because they had a very attractive product. The other challenge we had was United Airlines, which is the mm-hmm. big airline in San Francisco. And what I would be told is, yeah, you know, we'd, we'd like to fly British Airways, but all the talk around the water cooler at Cisco Systems or, you know, in Cupertino at Apple is who just made 1K with United? <laughs> who just made, you know? Yeah. So status. It was very status talk. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and that, I'm sure... I'm sure what? that only going to London hindered you as well, as opposed to a, a local carrier that goes every yes. direction. Right. So we would also use our partnership with American because it was one world to say that, you know, you could you get my British Airways miles on all these carriers. Sure. So it wasn't British Airways. It wasn't one world. I thought they were great companies. I just wasn't a good sales was not in my blood. <laughs> mm-hmm. And our listener, Mike, who wrote in sales is probably in his blood. Like if I put Mike, Mike, if you were in my seat during a thunderstorm and you have 10 flights out there at 120 minutes and an hour later, all those are going to be DOT violations. You would be like, oh, hell no. I'm not <laughs> dealing with this train wreck. Yeah. Yeah, right. So, so everyone, but, but I enjoy dealing, fixing the train wreck. What I like, what the change, and this is directly to Mike, what I preferred about working in an airline operation is. In sales, you did not get that instant gratification. Mm -hmm. So when you work in airline operations or you're a pilot or you're a flight attendant, you see the final product. So you work really hard to get these flights out. And you've seen this. I have a camera with all of our flights on it. And when you, the whole team works really hard and you see that beacon go on and it's three minutes before departure and you see the pushback brake lights go on and off that's instant gratification that's an on-time departure you don't get that in sales you have to wait months to see how you did (laughs) and i gotta tell you you know some of these travel agents and companies would be like oh we love british airways we sell you all the time then you get their numbers a month later and they flew us twice they Mm -hmm. flew united 20 times they flew virgin eight times (laughs) like okay so when i was whining and dining you (laughs) last week in cupertino you were like Oh, we love flying, you know, so that's what you have to deal with in sales. Some people love it. Some people thrive on it. And Mike, I'm sure you do. Thank you for what you do, Mike, because our seats are full, right? And it's thanks to people that are way better than me at sales that are 
filling these seats. So that's my spiel. <laughs> <laughs> no, that this was interesting. We I, I heard all this firsthand from Drew over some beers, I think, in Copenhagen. And that was really the first time that I had asked him about it because I, I know he's mentioned his time in sales and I wasn't quite sure what it was that he did. But I'm with you, Drew. I, I think I would not enjoy the sales piece. I, I would much rather push the operation and, and not even about that instant gratification, but ju- just knowing that what I'm doing matters now. It matters yes. today. It's not in the future, big contracts, all of that. It's right now we're pushing that operation. And that's that's what I live for. Well, right. And what I did in sales, I would say someone with a degree in marketing would be better at that job because it had very little to do with aviation. With us, we see the final product. We see the we. I, I wanted to be in the actual aviation part of the operate of the yeah. of the airlines. Yeah, it makes sense. We purposely tried to keep the content light this week so that we could get to several pieces of listener feedback. Though, in all honesty, I wrote this before I really knew how much we would talk before we get to this point. I don't know if the content is light or not. Now, looking at the running clock, I think that we went quite a bit longer than mm-hmm. what we expected, just based on the content. But I digress. Drew, let's read through everything first, and then we can come back and discuss it. What do we get? Yeah, so we have Aaron. Aaron constantly quality control checks our episodes for free. So thank, thank you, you, Aaron. Aaron. <laughs> so he said he sent us a message saying he enjoyed our fifth freedom discussion, though he pointed out that the Great Circle route from Paris to Papayete, which is in Tahiti, is actually closer to LAX than SFO, which we said. Okay, so it's probably like half an inch, you know, it's right. Just a little bit over. Okay. So, um, LAX is closer to the great circle route. Great catch Aaron. And thanks for keeping us honest. He also pointed out that our Toyota Corolla versus 747-8 comparison saying the 747 is more fuel efficient is really only viable when there's one person in a Corolla. If there are five people in the Corolla, is the Corolla more efficient? Yes, it would be more efficient. But when I'm driving to Dulles today, I'm looking around. There's only one person in every car. So it's uncommon Mm -hmm, that five people are in a Toyota Corolla. (laughs) And the other thing, and you mentioned this, Doug, cargo. We didn't even talk about cargo. A 747-8 is probably carrying 20 to 30,000 pounds of cargo. This is what I see in our wide bodies. We see thousands of pounds of cargo. So you're also lifting that along with the customers. How much cargo are you carrying in your Toyota Corolla, right? No, it's all all the crap that's shoved in the trunk that I haven't cleaned out in the last six months. I, I do want to say yeah. uh, along this line, I got a message from our buddy Matt, who is the the pilot for a major cargo carrier. He mm-hmm. listened to the episode and he took exception with me saying, "Yeah, but cargo airlines only fly cargo." He was like, "Nice, nice dig at me on that." <laughs> yeah, but it's true though. That's not a dig. That's it just is true. Mad. Yeah, I, Matt, I, I, wasn't to, I wasn't trying to dig at you. Yeah. <laughs> Justin sent us a message after my Haneda trip a few weeks ago. He talked about the spotting deck I mentioned above the gate area. He said he's been there. Apparently, it has various model airplanes and aviation exhibits, even a store with aviation-related items. He went on to say that the coolest thing at Haneda is the JAL Museum and free tour of their hangars. That sounds awesome. We got to do that. Put all that on. (laughs) All right. We received a message from Trent. Good day, tr- Doug and Drew, listening to your Manchester trip episode, and you're talking about meeting listeners all around the world on your trips. I'm an Australian living in Taiwan, been here for 15 years. If you guys ever do make it to Taipei, I'd be more than happy to show you around the city or at least meet up for a beer. Love the podcast. Thanks for all your hard work. When you meet up with Doug and Drew, it is required. 
that you do drink alcohol. It could be beer. It could be wine. It could be mead, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and, you know, because uh, we will probably want to uh, bar or pub hop with you. And I'm just kidding. Yeah. If you have hibiscus tea, Doug and I will have beer while you're having your, your ginger tea or whatever. I'm no, that's, that's not true. When we were in London with David, we, we went to tea. Oh, yeah, we did. So when we were in London, we broke it up and we had a, a British afternoon, afternoon tea. tea. Yeah, right? British tea. Yeah, Just exactly. to kind of balance all the beer we had. Yeah. No, that this is awesome, Trent. Thanks for reaching out and listeners around the world. I, I think now that we've we've done one of these trips, we're probably gonna get a lot more people reaching out to us and we would love to. And and Trent, if I now the Taipei is open and I am trying really hard to get back on a Taipei trip, and I probably won't for a long time because now all of a sudden I'm not senior enough for it. If I do make it to Taipei, I'll try and reach out to you and, and we can meet up. I think that would be awesome. Drew, our next week is going to be pretty busy. I'm headed to a wedding in Austin, and I think you're continuing your, what I call, ops manager all-star tour. Oh, yeah, this is great. So I'm constantly putting my hand up now because I had so much fun when I uh, substituted for the SFO shift manager. This was like a couple months ago. So LAX is asking, hey, we're having an offsite meeting. Can anyone come and help? Even before, <laughs> I didn't even think, I didn't even look to see what days it was. Like, yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going. I'm taking um, one of my co-workers and i am not doug i'm not gonna tell curtis who's my co-worker that i'm taking with me what could go wrong because when i told them hey let's go to sfo they got great weather and no diversions we ended up having an earthquake and we're yeah. back to california back to california i was thinking about that yeah you're probably gonna have an earthquake <laughs> yeah so that'll be next tuesday so we'll talk all about that and charlie who's a listener from uh seattle who um, wanted to go on our milk run trip but couldn't do it, he's going to fly down uh, for that day so that we can awesome. go spot that day before at uh, the In-N-Out Burger. Question for you. What time is your shift? What time do you work? I work. I get there on Tuesday, and I start Wednesday, 3 o'clock to 1 a.m. Okay. The reason I ask is because at midnight, Los Angeles goes to split runway operations. Mm, what I mean okay. by that is traffic inbound lands mm-hmm. over the water after midnight because of noise abatement if the winds allow for it Mm -hmm. traffic landing lands on the north complex traffic from the water traffic takes off from the south complex also over the water so you have airplanes landing inbound and airplanes taking off the same direction why i bring this up because i've flown red eyes several red eyes out of los angeles the last one that i did the weather was too low for concurrent arrival and departures we ended up having to shut down engines sitting at the end of the runway for almost an hour while 30 25 30 inbounds came in and tower kept telling people uh, waiting for departure we're really sorry we don't have a break and we Mm -hmm. cannot launch you because we cannot see them meaning you cannot see them to ensure visual separation on the departure on the day that you work you may have airplanes that push on time, and if the clouds are low enough, mm-hmm. they they may end up being delayed into their destination. And that so starts at midnight. Give, that starts at midnight, yeah. So just to give you a heads up that that, that could happen, and yeah. depending, depending on where the airplanes are parked at the gates, they may be delayed pushing because there's a long line of traffic trying to depart behind them. So just to give you a heads up. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so I just made a note. So I will uh, text you. It's like, up. Oh. They did the change. It's midnight. Yeah. Yeah. And now I have long delays waiting for departure. As long as the clouds aren't low, it, mm-hmm. it shouldn't be an issue because they, they can do simultaneous arrivals and departures. It's just when, when the clouds are low 
and there's there's a big bank of airplanes coming in and etc cannot send a bunch of people out yeah okay all right so i'm going to lax you are going to austin on the competition what is your routing and what aircraft are you on yeah we're on two a321s through salt lake city on the way there and then get this <laughs> you're, you're gonna laugh about this on the way home we're doing i i we're basically going as direct as we can there because I have to get there for the rehearsal dinner. I, I couldn't mess around with connecting way out of the way. Yeah. But on the way home, I used an upgrade certificate. So we're in first class on the way home. And I figured why waste it on a short flight to Salt Lake and then a short flight to Sacramento. So we're going mm-hmm. through Minneapolis. We're doing Austin, Minneapolis on an A319 and then Minneapolis, Sacramento on a 737-900. Okay, so both of those are maybe two hours to Minneapolis and four hours? It's like three and a half, four hours to Sacramento, yeah. Yeah, so just in case you're wondering, Doug and I try and make the flights long enough so that they are required to give us a meal, which is Mm -hmm. usually over two hours, right? (laughs) We get Yeah, we we get meals on both. Okay. No, that'll be fun. So you're flying, flying, you're back in your uh, civilian mode for a little bit, right? Yeah. And you can check out the competition. Where I, and where I can just kick back, relax, have a drink, go to the clubs, not worry about anything, not right. worry about not revving. I won't yeah. be checking the loads every five <laughs> minutes. I'll be checking the upgrade list on the way down there. It, yeah. It's like I'm back in my, my business travel days. Yeah. No, so enjoy that. And that is a fully leisure trip. But we're going to make it a blip because we may have to record sometime during each of our trips. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to figure <laughs> out a, a time. It. it may end up being on the, the day that we normally release. So mm-hmm. that said, we might have to record an edit at the last minute. We do apologize in advance if the episode is a little late. We're still going to get out get it out on Monday. It just may not be at the normal time. Or, you know, Doug does excellent editing, and he makes these episodes sound great. So thank you, Doug. But I honestly think if we're in a time crunch and we just have an hour, we just tape and no edit, <laughs> you'll have to bleep out any... Uh, you know, you got to keep it family friendly. So you may have to bleep out something, but we've always, have we ever done an episode that's one and done with zero editing? Never. Uh, okay. Maybe that yeah. maybe next week. Yeah. I, it, it would be painful to listen to. I think I, I still need to do a little bit of editing, yeah. but to our listeners, this podcast is your show. So go on our website, nexttripnetwork.com and let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it or give us your feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Next Trip Podcast. Please tell your friends about us so we can reach more people who love aviation and travel. Francis, no pots and pans banging around on this episode. I hope you're happy. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about. Not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show. 